welcome to the West Cheltenham podcast. We want to see communities and places buzzing with the extraordinary presence of Jesus. Join us live on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30am. We really hope you enjoy this message. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you will move in our hearts, will open our ears and our minds to receive your word to us this morning. Amen. So yeah, tomorrow's state funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. What a moment to live through. The much-loved sovereign of our land served the nation with a humble dependence on God. In recent years, she's become more overt, more vocal about her faith in Christ and the impact that that faith had on her life. So in 2000, she said, for me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. Her belief in Jesus shaped her life, both public and private. Believing and living, the two are inextricably linked. In that reading we heard, it's taken from near the end of John's Gospel, and he, in which John recounts many stories, many miraculous signs, he says. And he says that he wrote those things that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Life. But in Greek, there are three words for life. You've got bios, from which you get biology. Uh, the physical life, breathing, blood pumping around your body sort of life. The word psyche is also translated life, from which we get psychology. It's the soulish life where our emotions and our thinking and our will. But there's another word for life, which is Zoe. Beautiful name. Is there any Zoe's here this morning? I don't think so. Um, but it's a word used in scripture for the spiritual life that we can have in God. In the Old Testament, there's that wonderful passage in Ezekiel of a vision that he has of a valley of dry bones. You may remember it. And Ezekiel was told to speak to the bones. And in his vision, they came together to make skeletons. And then there were sinews and muscles, flesh and skin covered them. But it wasn't until God breathed his spirit into the bodies that they became alive. The life that John is speaking about, that God promises to his people, promises to us, is more than just a physical life. He promises not just breath, but his very spirit. And it's the spirit of God that gives us life. The life to which we're called in Jesus. The life that he promises will be full and abundant. And I think Queen Elizabeth II was an example of someone who lived that life in Christ. I can be physically and soulfully alive but spiritually dead. Indeed, that is the natural state of mortals. We're all living, breathing people with heart and mind and soul. It's how we're born. 
It's how the majority of people live their lives, and some very happily. But it is only in Jesus that we can become truly alive. It says God breathes his spirit into us, as Jesus did with those first disciples, that we live in a new way. There was a man called Nicodemus. Again, some of you may have heard of him. And he came to Jesus at the dead of night to hear about this new life. He came making inquiries of this man of God. And Jesus spoke to him about the need to be born again, to be born of the Spirit. This confused Nicodemus, understandably, but Jesus is very clear. A person is born physically into the world as a baby, but to be able to experience the kingdom of God, they need to be born again spiritually into eternal life. Eternal, eternity. That's a tricky one. I found actually the idea of eternity can be a real turn-off for some people. I don't know how, how you feel about it. This idea, I don't think we can comprehend what it would be like to just go on living forever and ever and ever. And it sometimes conjures up a sense of boredom and monotony. But I like to think of it not so much as an interminable length of time. We, we think of God perhaps as outside of time. And so I suggest that eternity is more of an all-encompassing moment the most stupendous, unimaginably wondrous moment, an eye-widening, ecstatic, awesome moment that holds us, a moment in which we are one with God. The Queen and all who have died in faith has crossed over into this awesome moment as she died. But this eternal life begins now in the present. In, in our time-ordered existence, we begin that time of eternity at one with God. It's when we receive God's spirit in us, that's when we're made spiritually alive. That's when we're made one with him. So it's not just pie in the sky when we die, but the reality that we can live right now in a relationship with God, albeit in a limited way, for we live in a broken world, but it is a reality nonetheless that then continues beyond the grave. And what we can know now and experience is essentially the answer to Jesus' own prayer in John 17. He prayed that they may be one as we are one. In verse 21, he says that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, I in them, you in me. There's this whole mathematical impossibility if you do the sort of the inness, in and in and in, to be at one with God. That was Jesus' prayer and his purpose for our union with God is only possible through his death and resurrection. One of the theological interpretations of the cross is atonement. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the whole world. A wonderful wor word, atonement. Allegedly, a word made up by William Tyndale, 
He was a 16th century guy who translated the Bible into English, which was a treasonable offence at the time. A Gloucestershire man, no less, um, born near Dursley, and he was translating scriptures from the Hebrew into English. And atonement is one of the words that he used. It tells, the Old Testament tells of a Jewish festival called Yom Kippur. It's translated as the Day of Atonement. It was an annual festival of penitence, of wiping out the sins that separated people from God. In Leviticus, it uh, describes the associated rituals with that festival. There were two goats. One was sacrificed, and one was called the scapegoat, another word from Tyndale. Um, The priest would pray the sins of the world onto the goat and send it off into the desert to take the sins away so that the people could be made right with God and be at one with God. Hence the word at-one-ment, atonement. The Old Testament law, though, is only a shadow of the good things to come in Jesus Christ. The Yom Kippur festival, annual festival, is in a few weeks' time, beginning of October. You need to do that ritual over and over again every year. But in Jesus, the perfect sacrifice was made once and for all. And he became the scapegoat that took away our sins. Through his death and resurrection, The sin, the wrongdoing that causes a barrier between us and God is gone. And so that we too can be made right with God and be at one with God forever. And that's what we celebrate in our communion as we'll be doing later. So what does it mean, what does it look like to be at one with God? I just found it helpful to contrast the phrase at sixes and sevens. You know, the idea of chaos and confusion, and anxiety, and disorder, and disagreement, and being disorientated, to be at sixes and sevens, tossed about. To be at one speaks, therefore, more of being congruent, of coming together, to be reconciled, to be ordered, to be united and content, to be at peace. And those are the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples when they're feeling at sixes and sevens, peace be with you. And in particular, he spoke those words to Thomas, peace be with you. Poor old Thomas, known famously for the last 2,000 plus years as the doubter. I wonder what my epitaph will be. James says, he who doubts is like a wave blown and tossed by the wind. At sixes and sevens. Now, in my studies, uh, I had to do an assignment about Thomas. He was actually the first missionary to India. The Martoma Church is one of the oldest surviving churches in the world. What a turnabout! Something happened to Thomas, and we heard about it in that reading. My Lord and my God. Those words of conviction. Thomas changed from a doubter to a believer. He was all at sixes and sevens, confused and doubting, but as the truth took root in his heart and he believed, he became at one with God. Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he says. Isn't that a really intimate act, isn't it? To be breathed upon. Jesus' breath, his life entering their bodies. 
Christ in me, me in Christ, together in the Father. When we come to Jesus, we are filled with his spirit, the spirit of peace and joy and love and patience, etc. And the sins, oh, sorry, gone back a page. And we become at one with God. We become alive, spiritually alive, that Zoe life. What does that life look like? In what ways is it full and abundant? Well, firstly, I'd just like to say what it's not. It's not full of abundant possessions and wealth and power and prestige. If that's the life you're after, then you don't really want to be following Jesus. The queen may have had untold wealth and privilege, earthly riches, but that's not what made her life fulfilling. She speaks about the duty and the serving of others, and she comments of recognizing this in others. She says, over the years, those who have seemed to me to be the most happy, contented, and fulfilled have always been the people who have lived the most outgoing and unselfish lives. There is a dangerous theology called the prosperity gospel, which suggests that when you follow Jesus, you'll be blessed with riches and wealth in this life. Now, admittedly, this does sometimes happen, particularly for those who have been victims of their own bad choices in life, as one learns to make wise decisions and life choices following God's kingdom values, one may find one's life improve significantly, materially. But this theology suggests that when someone comes to faith, they will inevitably know material wealth and good health and untold blessings. And yet we know that is not the case. Indeed, it is often the opposite for many believers who suffer greatly because of their faith around the world, losing jobs and livelihoods when they turn to Christ. And if you follow that theology through, the implication is that if one is poor or suffering in any way, well, one must be really lacking in faith or have offended God in some way. And that is so contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is a champion of the poor and the helpless. So if life in its fullness doesn't mean an abundance of material wealth and health, in what ways is it full? It's full of grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. It's full of assurance of being loved by God. It's full of meaning and purpose. It's full of fruitfulness and love and joy and peace, etc. It's full of power from on high. It's full of hope and endurance. It's full of adventure and excitement as we step out in following him. This Zoe life, being filled with the Holy Spirit and being at one with God, which comes from believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is what can make us truly alive now and in the world to come. And I'm going to finish with another quote from Her Majesty the Queen, who is an example of how an abundant life flows from a deep and sincere belief in Christ. So this from 2002. I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view 
to give of my best in all that the day brings and to put my trust in God. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, head to westchelt.org.uk or search Westchelt across social media. We love you. We can't wait to see you again. Thank you.